Greetings and welcome to the Sunday, March 7th, 2021 edition of Washington, D.C. Aid All the Good People. Uh, this episode, I, I spent a little bit of time trying to come up with a title for it, but uh, most of them are kind of offensive, uh, truthful but offensive, and we're not really supposed to do that. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Well, then not anymore. Um, so my advice to the whatever organization or group of evil organizations that are doing weird things in the United States right now, um, uh, deep state Marxists, anarcho-communists, whatever you want to call them, liberals, spend the extra bucks. Get real heroes or tap smarter felons. Uh, because right now, uh, it's kind of fun. It, this was, It's kind of amazing. You, you couldn't design such stupidity as this. But Andrew Weissman is a felon on the $2 value meal, menu. Um, the, but the real threat is the network that keeps him out of prison and the, you know, uh, the media covering for him. So many media outlets pointed to the uh, uh, in fifth installment of the Mueller report and then others to the Senate report on uh, Russian interference in the 2016 election. They're, they're quick to point out that it's a bipartisan thing. Um, they're quick to point it out because they're getting their way. It's kind of going to be kind of amazing the next time they lose an election or they lose a decision because those Republicans will go right back to being godless scumbags or something, right? That's how that always goes. So, again, I'll put, the, I'll put it out there. There's a GoFundMe if you feel like donating. Uh, the goal is to raise $100,000 to give to somebody who can explain the Russia hoax, three-plus-year Russia hoax, without using uh, treason-type crimes, seditious conspiracy or whatever. Uh, you cannot use uh, gross incompetence because there were over 200 people who worked on the Russia hoax. And that would suggest that the FBI, DOJ, uh, and all those other agencies and the lawyers and stuff are blithering imbeciles. And we just can't have that. Because they're still there. So, all, And you can't refute any of the, um, you know, any of the material evidence that's in this body right now. So basically you can't explain it at all. Uh, because it was seditious conspiracy. Um, you Go through, if you're ever bored and you want to laugh, go through and look, look on the kinds of articles you see when you want to look up Andrew Weissman. Um, why this man is still walking the streets is beyond me. I wanted to start with the, uh, the FISA fraud, the FISC, you know, the surveillance court. Um, and I think I mentioned in a previous episode, that the, the, for me, the, the line in the sand, the last chance for the country to prove itself, because we all, we all mock the United States for our own reasons. Um, for me, it's the fact that uh, the law is a weapon, but it's only a weapon uh, for the left. It's, it's the laws and uh, punishments and stuff, like only allow Republicans or conservatives to run roughshod over the country in their estimation. Uh, it only oppresses people of color. Uh, it's an evil thing. But um, th when the FISA court, when Justice Supreme Court Justice James Boasberg let uh, Kevin Kleinsmith go saying that the media was his punishment, that he, they spoke harshly of him in the you know, in the media, in the fake news, that that was punishment enough. 
he actually had he actually Kevin Kleinsmith actually lied to one of the strictest courts in the land, the Fisk. And then the Fisk had that criminal in front of them and decided to let him go. So uh, this is my unaltering position. The FISA court is in on the seditious conspiracy because it either is protecting Americans or it's not. It had an opportunity to set an example, uh, which is what it's supposed to do. There's no third option there uh, because, you know, the message is lying doesn't matter anymore. If the Supreme Court cared about uh, integrity, the, the Chief Justices, or Chief Justice John Roberts picks, handpicks those rotation, the FISA court. Um, here's, here's what's nuts. And it ties into a couple other things throughout this episode. Uh, do you remember when um, the Enron and Arthur Anderson cases were overturned? I mean, if you go back and read the, the books on it and look at the, the, the latest stuff we have, this is like everything else. Uh, people like Bob Mueller and Andrew Weissman and their circle of criminal friends, uh, they get fame and fortune by winning these crazy cases uh, based on fabricated evidence and stuff. And they hope that they can kick the can down the road. They seal these records and hope that they're far enough away when these records are unsealed. Well, it, and that's, this, is, this is what we're coming up to here. Uh, a court within the last few years, I believe it was uh, January, February 2019, unsealed some of the documents in those Enron case. Uh, the actions that Andrew Weissman took were the only things missing, gone, from a sealed record, right? Andrew Weissman's orchestrations. Uh, a federal judge, Sim Lake, ordered the records to be unsealed, and uh, everything that could have got Weissman in trouble was missing. It, it, it's another one of those coincidence things, right? Uh, now, re remember, they, they prosecuted people based on Weissman's work. So basically, the, the, the government puts together a case, and they find somebody guilty of something, whether it's illegal or not. The, the, there were actually people who were um, tried for things that weren't illegal, and other people in the court were like, what's this? This is not even the law. It's not... There's no punishment attached to that. How can you do But they did it anyways. Uh, it's to take people out of the way. It's to get people out of the way. It's to do something for, it's, 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 it's probably based on a request. You know, like you call, you used to be able to call up a radio station and say, play this song for me, would you? I like Rush. And uh, they would do it. Well, that's what they're doing with the government. That's what we're doing with, you know, the powers of prosecution. Um, everything Weissman touched was miss, missing. Now, the first crack started to, appear in that uh as soon as they did weissman was whisked away and taken off removed from the enron task force right uh now what happened in, in over the years since the enron case went uh was decided those records were were removed and properly you know custody evidence chain of custody were moved between courts i guess the, the federal supreme court and an appellate court um but this is like every other Marxist deep state whodunit. Only the material related to Weissman's crimes are missing. Uh, and and the, the Fisk, would, you know, the Supreme Court would have had control over it, would have touched it, would have had it, you know, would have been responsible for it. It was in their custody at some point. So the Fisk is basically a Supreme Court proxy, right? Um, now, don't forget that 85,000 people and two 
hugely successful successful businesses went under because of the, you know Andrew Weissman and his tactics. I love reading about how he's in the, in fake news. They say he's aggressive and he's a target of conservatives, frequently a target of conservatives. Well, yeah, the man's a freaking criminal. Why wouldn't he be? He should be a target of everybody. Oh, until he goes after somebody you know or like, and then, oh, yeah, you know what? They were right. Um, it might help to, for us to think of these events as battles. Uh, look up who had connections with the, uh, or, or they were working for competitive or competitor accounting and consulting firms when Arthur Anders was taking the world by storm. Who would benefit from its demise? I actually looked that up before. Maybe I'll do something, another episode on that. At some point, so basically, deep state gets to pick who lives, which companies live, which ones survive. Uh, some I'm going to bring up two people, in particular, that are referred to heavily, and, and a number of like Rolling Stone and uh, Newsweek. All these there are m probably thousands of articles, or tens of, tens of thousands of articles out there d describing these people as criminals and why the Russia hoax was justified, right? problem is we know more now of course they got the the democrats the marxists got their uh points they scored a few points in the meantime so let's start with dimitri Fertash. um here's this one is awesome this one is an andrew weissman gem nearly every fake news account of weissman call you know this is where he's called aggressive and stuff right when you talk about guys like uh dimitri Fertash. um but Weissman's favorite hammer is uh, prosecutorial misconduct. And then he's out of there before anybody can really tie him to any of these misdeeds. Well, Furtash was one of Weissman's targets because he's a businessman who is, uh, A, still alive, and B, someone in Russia wants his assets. He's a billionaire, right? Uh, and his wealth would represent a pretty fair amount of Russian GDP. So... Here's what, here's what Weissman has on Dmitry Furtash, the Ukrainian businessman. They knew the McKinsey Group or McKinsey & Company a consulting firm uh, had a 2014 or 2013 ethics training seminar. Uh, I believe they were giving it to, presenting it to the Boeing Company. And they knew that one of the slides in there was a, a, was a hypothetical business situation. And they literally, in this ethics presentation PowerPoint slide, presented evidence. They presented it as evidence, and it literally uses the term bribery payments. Um, yeah, I don't think the bad guys are going to do that. Weissman, I don't think they're actually going to do that. But, but they, they presented that and tried to get an extradition order to, um, to, to have Mr. Furtash brought to the United States for prosecution. Here's the trouble with that. It, it, the McKinsey, uh, McKinsey Company, McKinsey Group, provided an official statement on that. And the, the way Weissman acquired that and then had a signed document saying that it, was a, uh, it, wasn't, it actually wasn't an ethics training, uh, part of an ethics training program, was that he actually had to take an Indian, a sovereign Indian citizen who was here for that training they took his passport from him, and they told him he wouldn't get it back until he signed the document, to, the, whatever they had pre-prepared for him, right? So this man was a, a, obviously livid, got back to India, filed a complaint. 
then McKinsey also backed up by saying, hey, that's not a real document. That was training material. Uh, so Dmitry Firtash is in Austria. The Austrian government, the public Austria, was pissed, rightfully so. Um, and here, how many times have we heard conservatives are ruining our, our image, our, our standing in the world? It's things like this. So Austria knows the Department of Justice and Andrew Weissman are dogs, lying dogs. India knows, and they try to hold one of our, our, their citizens in our country to get what they wanted. Um, I don't think he ever withdrew any of that. Okay, so the FBI DOJ cabal is trying to charge for a to get that extradition order. Um, so why is he so aggressive with somebody in Ukraine? Uh, he hasn't done any, uh, Firtash hasn't, you know, done any stated or known harm to U.S. interest, right? But it ra so it raises a question. Is he doing something that's in the Kremlin's best interest? Um, Austria's pissed. India's pissed. And Weissman's making the U.S. the laughingstock of the world. Consider his record. Does he really have any convictions that didn't rely on witness tampering, Brady violations, prosecutorial misconduct, like withholding exculpatory evidence? You know, I, I get, here's the thing. McKinsey and company, it does not have a great reputation. It's a 501c3 like Bain Capital, and it's known for flattening out organizational structures, right? Hierarchies. So basically what they do is they'll go in and they'll recommend organizations hollow out the middle managers. Uh, the cost-saving move, right? Now usually what follows is uh, lower wage workers are forced to absorb some responsibility, additional authority, without really much more pay or benefit, right? Uh, and then compensation kind of moves. With the middle hollow, the C-suite kind of picks up a little more uh, income. income. And um, what global Marxists don't like is that it also concentrates power in the C-suite a little bit more. You don't have another layer of human beings who could say, hey, we don't really agree with what's going on here at the company. You are, you know, you're, you're, when you flatten out that structure, you have uh, low-wage, low-skill um, low jobs, and the C-suite, roughly, you know, of course. Um, the problem, the problem with that, the, with the Marxists having a taking issue with the concentration of power, is that while it might be true in many cases or some cases, uh, senior executives might have too much power. In another case, it might be the real goal to have the tail wag the dog because that's a Marxist thing. They want people off the street, uh, off you know, people straight out of the off the curb, uh, sitting in the boardroom. Uh, we've seen that. Go look around for it. Uh, it's out there. It's a move they want to make, and they're pretending that it is a um, move towards social justice or equity or you know all of the above. Here's the problem: when you read articles and books about these evil restructuring practices and how it devastates the middle class, um, the articles will show out, will will call out and show that this is kind of like a heinous practice. Um, but most of them will fall short by identifying why U.S. organizations are forced to do those moves, right? There's an external force uh, that, that would necessitate such callous changes, and there's global competition. So you have to ask who's, who in these, like I said, thinking about, the, thinking about everything that we go through as kind of like a battle. Who's on whose side? Just look at the moves. You don't have to know who they are. What are they doing? That's always been the underlying question. What, what, are, the, what are they actually doing? So China's core business has always been to flood the world with cheap goods, particularly uh, to harm the U.S. 
Uh, and I don't think anyone, in the, I've never really read any articles that have everything completely right or completely wrong. Uh, it's just that the conversation requires that all of these elements be addressed. So here, here's a hypothetical. Consultants like McKinsey advise an organization to eliminate 400 middle managers or so, four or 500 middle managers. Yeah, those job losses are horrible. And not just that they're immediate job losses, but those positions also represent the next step up for, you know, your average worker. They're, they're part of the, the career ladder, right, uh, for competent, experienced workers. But you have to ask how many jobs the company would have lost, like all of them, if they didn't follow specific advice. Uh, we don't know these things. We, we don't really will know. We'll never know the truth because nobody really tells the truth. Uh, all it takes is a handful in an industry. Say there's a thousand businesses, competing businesses in one industry, and four or five of them use deceptive practices, you know, in their books, in, their, in the way they avoid regulators, uh, in any way, any kind of business control practices. They'll be the only ones left after a while. They will take on others because you don't cheat at anything to lose. You always cheat to gain an unfair advantage, right? Uh, and about that overseas competition, we've had a few presidents address this issue in the past. Right now we have one who's basically blind to the issue and talks the threat down. There's some crazy stuff about why China has to be oppressive. And then a little bit later, we hit why the U.S. has to be oppressive. It's kind of scary. Um, here, here's the stark difference between like us, the United States, and Russia right now. It isn't illegal to hack foreign interests in Russia to, 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 to bring in foreign funds, right? They actually look at it. Moscow will bury you, however, if you target, target a fellow Russian. So a sizable part of their GDP is stolen capital. I forget what the exact number is, and it's probably changed since the last time I was, uh, did some research. But in America, stealing from each other is okay because we had a congresswoman, AOC, say that looting is okay because it's only stuff that can be replaced. Well, at some point, that's not really the case anymore. At some point, the damages done from that are um, will make a difference, will have an impact. And, and if you lose something one way and then lose something another way and lose something a third way, you've lost three things. And that might mean failure for, for your family, for your community, or for an organization, or for an industry. So... The people who actually do work are the ones disadvantaged here, obviously. No, you know, middle class type people. Because nobody would drive into a ghetto to steal something, if there's, especially if there's nothing to steal. And nobody's going to get past the guard shack or security system at a millionaire's mansion. So it's kind of like, yeah, the people in the middle are going to get kind of blown out here. So Dmitry Firtash was a good one. But one of my favorites is Konstantin Kalimnik. Now, like I said, these are important in the Mueller report. These are important in a lot of things we talked about with the Russia hoax. Um, because everybody assumes that what's in the Mueller report is factual good stuff, right? Well, Konstantin Kalimnik is one of the best hat trick kind of things, moves you could ever imagine, right? The State Department used Kalimnik as a trusted source for many years. In fact, the Obama executive branch deemed him so important that special care was used to keep uh, information about him and his dealings and his uh, anything he'd given us as an informant to keep him from leaking. Nobody wanted to know who you know this guy was, and we now know this. Uh, we've known this for a couple year or two now from emails and records of meetings. Kalimnik only became a Russian agent when it was clear 
that he was very capable of sorting out Ukraine corruption. In other words, Biden goes down, uh, Hillary problems, Obama problems. So they had to turn on him. That's why Konstantin Kalinick was thrown under the bus. Uh, we have emails from, I believe it was a, an embassy chief, or an, em, uh, yeah, um, oh gosh, the man's name is Schultz. We have we have his emails, we have department interdepartmental emails. Uh, he's no longer with Ukraine, but um, Kalimnik is described, described as very, very pro-Ukraine. Marie Ivanovich, uh, the whistleblower, you know, the hero of the liberals, was very pro-Russia. In fact, she learned Russian, um, but none of the languages spoken are useful in Ukraine. So according to our own embassy officials, Konstantin Kalimnik was a go-to guy for many years and was sought after his advice and whatever he could help until it was clear that his word could be trusted over that of Marie Ivanovich, who just recently arrived. And um, uh, I believe Schultz said, you're going to have a hard time getting her to not attack Kalimnik's position because he is very pro-Ukraine. So this is what you do. That's, that's what you do. You take out everybody around somebody. What happened to Trump's team? Take them out. Take them out. Um, I don't really know how to close this one other than this is just the tip of the iceberg. I, you know, you can go through, you'll find all the supporting documents for this kind of stuff. I just, it's just so disgusting that people are still pretending like the Russia hoax was a legitimate investigation and not seditious conspiracy. Take care, everybody. And have a lovely Sunday evening.